Bibles handy, I have an announcement to make. First of all, you have finally reached the bottom of the barrel. You know, you know how the ice cream carton where you, you get down in the cracks and crevices? Well, we're finally there. I'm a cracks and crevices kind of guy, details guy, so um, it'll be a good time. I'm sure glad you're here. It's an honor always to be in the house of the Lord. And they say that it gets easier every time you do something. But um, I'm just thinking back over the last seven or eight years, leading music, being right here. Same pulpit. It's not any easier a thousand times later to be standing here, whether it's leading music um, or sharing the Word of God. But it's an honor. And something that's on my heart for sure, I've been meditating, chewing on this, you know, similar verses leading up here. Second Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11 is the text, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And I think of that not ignorant, that, that's the, really the title, the, the thought behind this message is not ignorant. And really the, the politically correct way to tell somebody that they're stupid is that um, wisdom has been chasing you, but you were always faster. <laughs> so never tell somebody that they're stupid. You could tell them that they've always outrun wisdom. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, we are not ignorant of his devices. So my heart really this morning, I would love to share with you some golden nugget of truth that maybe you haven't heard before. But I'll be very transparent with you. Nothing that I'm going to say this morning you probably have already, nothing I've, I'm going to say um, you haven't heard before. Um, everything I'm going to give you is a verse that you've heard probably a hundred times before. Um, because what truly burdens my heart, and as I stand before you this morning, I am, I am burdened, I am I've overwhelmed with this thought that we live in a day and age with information at our fingertips, and yet we are so ignorant. We are so ill-equipped to handle the storms and the trials of life. Um, we've, I am so grateful for you as my church family. I'm looking out there and I, I see so many faces that I get to see every single week, week and it's an honor uh, to serve alongside of you. I'm not up here um, giving you my opinion. Um, I'm not up, I, I want to be able to share the book because it's an honor, honor to do so. Um, but I'm grateful to have you all as my church family. The support of each other, I hope I can be that support back to you but we're, we're more ill-equipped than, than ever before that I see to be able to handle the attacks, and yet the attacks of our adversary have ramped up now more than ever. Um, there's more now on the line than ever before, and yet we seem, uh, we seem less equipped. We seem like we have more tools at our disposal, and yet we're not using them more. We're not strengthening our hands um, like we need to. And again, I don't have some amazing nugget of truth to share with you. Everybody is looking for a get-rich-quick scheme, right? They're looking for a way, how can I make a million dollars by investing in this and be, be rich tomorrow? That's what we want, right? We want to have all of the, the physical uh, stamina and prowess without ever having to work out. Uh, we want to be able to eat pizza and donuts and, and uh, never gain weight. That's, that's what we're always looking for, that that 
that article on, on MSM, whatever your landing page is, that's, I mean, it's just flooded with articles, and every one of them would tell you that you're going to be smart and handsome and beautiful and rich tomorrow if you just follow these instructions. And I fear that we come to church with that same idea that we'll finally get that nugget of truth that will finally be the one to change us. All of the things that we've struggled with will finally go away if we can get that one piece of truth. Um, I don't know how to tell you this. You've been hearing it every single week. And I'm not going to give you anything this morning that you haven't already heard. Uh, but this, this weighs heavy on my heart and on my mind. Um, the thought that does it really matter does it really matter? I'm, I'm overwhelmed with this thought, thinking of my family and our forefathers, um, presidents who have gone before us, church leaders have fought and bled and died and shed tears to stand for what really matters, for the truth of God's word, to be able to hold the book in their hand and to be able to proclaim the gospel, the freedom to do that. And we're letting it slip through our fingers, all the while saying that God doesn't care. All the while professing that we're under grace. And I, I'm so thankful for the Sunday school message this morning. I had no idea what Brother Franklin was going to be teaching about. But it's very much along the same things about reckoning and yield, yielding and about, uh, about whether or not we're under grace. Does God care? I can tell you God cares more now than ever. But this thought, and I'm not going to tell, I'm, we're not going to talk much about, about what, we, what we should wear and standards. But the idea that does God care where we go? Does he care what we listen to? Does he care what we wear? Uh, a, a, group, a group of Christians, self-proclaimed Bible-believing Christians on their way to heaven would say, no, none of that matters. And then on the other side, you've got other people that say, no, it absolutely does matter. Um, you ought to look your very best. You ought to wear A, B, C, D, E. So what does matter? Well, the only thing that really matters is, is the truth. And it doesn't matter if it's my truth I mean, if I draw a line and say that 2 plus 2 equals 4 over here, and somebody says 2 plus 2 equals 5 over here, I'm going to say one of those is right and one of those is wrong. However, I would say that is if we, who have the truth, you're confident in that truth, if you stand over on this side and you throw rocks at this guy because I'm right, and therefore I'm more confident, I'm more handsome, I'm more blessed because I have the truth and I have this air because I'm right, that is not right either. Because having the truth, having the right position and the wrong disposition is driving away our children. It's driving away uh, those people that we, that we want to minister to. Um, so as I say some things, um, I'm not the pastor, so if you want to vote me out, I'll vote, I'll vote yes with you too. Don't hold this against pastor. I'm so grateful for our pastor, and I'm so grateful that he gives me the opportunity to preach. So I will do my best not to say things that he would not say, um, because this is not my pulpit. Uh, this is not my church. I'm, I'm your family, and, and I'm honored to be able to talk to you all for the next 45, 55 minutes. As the music guy, um, you're not going to get away from here without hearing a little bit about music. And so we're going to sing for the next 30 minutes. So go ahead and, you don't blame some of you smiled, some of you didn't. So um, those of you that are not smiling, I know where your heart's at. Um, so 
we don't allocate, if, if we don't allocate enough time for the right things, we can't be surprised when we come up empty-handed. Um, I'm a runner. I've never thought of myself as a runner, but I like to run. I like to push myself. I'm a competitive person, so I'm always trying to outdo myself. Um, the first couple times that I started running, I thought, this is horrible. After the thousandth time, it's not any easier. It's still horrible. Um, but, but I enjoy that. And whenever you put time and energy and practice into something, you're laying up treasures. You're putting something in that bank account. Same thing with a relationship. So I want, you to, I want you to think of this idea that you're investing. When you come to church, you're investing something in that account. And uh, uh, Brother Franklin said that earlier. You're investing an account that you can withdraw from later. And when you work out, you're putting a little bit, little bit of investment in there. Because what we tend to hear so often is that if you just were a little, if you just wanted it a little bit more, it doesn't matter whether you go to church, it doesn't matter whether you read your Bible, as long as you're, as long as you're passionate about the things of Christ, right? We hear that because it's the easy way. But when the trials come, and the storms come, and the rain comes down, and the storms uh, beat upon that house that was built on the sand, it doesn't matter if you don't have anything in that account, there's nothing to draw from. If I go out, and I, and I haven't run all summer. Have you been running? <laughs> Brother, Brother Warner and I were talking about who, who, um, who should get to go first. Who gets to preach this morning and who gets to preach tonight. And since I'm preaching this morning, I'm going to use that to my full advantage. Uh, but, uh, no, so I, I, I haven't run much all summer. So if I was to go out and I wanted to run, um, let's say I was running for my life, I can be as scared as a cat in a rocking chair factory, and with all my heart and soul, but I've only got so much stamina because that's all that I've invested in that account, okay? So Warren Wiersbe said that um, most immature Christians that he had met were those that regularly attended church services. So back to this thought of, does it really matter? Are we more mature because of our time in church? Are we, more, are we better equipped because of the time that we have spent here. I hope that that's the case. But there are people that attend every single church service and yet are so ill-equipped to deal with what the enemy is throwing at them. One last thought on that subject. Either the Bible is true, and all of it is true, or none of it is true. I had to reach, I, I was so blessed to grow up in a home where we were taught the Bible. We were taught that it's the Word of God. We memorized Bible verses. But just bringing in information wasn't good enough. All of us coming and singing the songs isn't good enough. You've got to reach a point in your life and in your mind where you decide, is it, all right? is it right, is it true, is it real, or isn't it? Am I going to use this book or aren't I? If this book is true, do we have an adversary that is real? We say that that's true. I say that that's true, and yet I will walk from here to my car, I will go home, I will go to work tomorrow, and because I can't see him, I'm not actively living my life in such a way that I am standing against the enemy. The devil, if the, if the devil is real, if he is real, he is really a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That is not passive. He's not waiting at the back doors there for you to, to walk out. He's not waiting for you at the doors to come in. He is after you. He is there when you wake up. He is there while you're sleeping. He is following you. He is there trying to get you. And we feel, and we're right, greater is the power that is in me than, uh, than that that is in the world. But the devil's there too. 
He's trying to get you to trip up. He's trying to get you. And so what are, what are some things that we are not ignorant of? What are we not ignorant of? Well, here's where it gets good. All of these things you're not ignorant of, meaning that you already know them. And that's what Paul was saying here. Lest Satan should give an, get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. In other words, you have everything that you need to know. We already know what the devil's devices are. Don't let him get an advantage of you. He wasn't saying, here's a new truth, everyone. Quiet. Here's something that's going to that's gonna save you. He says, you already know. You're not ignorant of his devices. We know what those are. The devil is a master deceiver. A.W. Tozer said, for millions of Christians, God is no more real than he is to the non-Christian. They go through life trying to love an ideal and be loyal to a mere principle. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I wrote this down. I'm going to say that again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to your mind when you think about God? Don't answer that. That's the most important thing about you. Spoiler alert. (laughs) What comes to mind about God will change as you read this a little bit more. I believe, he continues, I believe there is scarcely an error in doctrine or a failure in applying Christian ethics that cannot be traced finally to imperfect and ennoble thoughts about God. In other words, what we know about God, what you think about God, what you believe to be true about God is everything about your success and failure and how you will proceed in life. Um, Don't turn here for the sake of time. I'm already I'm concerned I'm not going to get all this information to you, so if you could speed up your listening, I will make sure that um, we talk about all of the things that I believe uh, God has put on my heart, and I will do my best to make um, it seem like there's some order here. I do, I do have uh, a goal here uh, as we go through here. Solomon's burden in Proverbs 2, if you're familiar with the book of Proverbs, wisdom personified. I'll read a couple verses here from Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments, and he continues, incline thine ear, apply thine heart to understanding. If thou criest for knowledge, if thou liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver, searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. This was not a casual come to church Sunday morning and see what we're going to talk about Jesus this morning. Come and praise the Lord. And man, I, I am all for, I stand up here, you know, just about every Sunday encouraging you to praise the Lord. Lift up, sing. Boy, I'm going to stomp and I'm going to clap and I hope you lift up and praise the Lord. But the Great Commission was not go ye into all the world and praise my name. There is a purpose, there is a goal. And so I'm getting a little bit out of, uh, a little bit out of order here, which is actually the point of the message. Uh, being out of order. How God's attributes affect our standards. When we look at searching the Bible, this is not a casual thing to come to the Word of God and try to learn about God. Hopefully we're still, we're still, these are things you've heard before, correct? I haven't given you anything new. You're not really sure what the question is? Okay, you can nod your head or I can do it. I can say it again if you haven't heard it before. No, seriously, these are things I hope that you've heard before. I hope these are things that you've mulled over before. Um, You've read Proverbs 2 before. If you haven't read Proverbs 2, uh, read the book of Proverbs. Um, But God's attributes should affect our standards. Oh, that dirty word, those standards. Talk about standards. 
Should God's attributes affect our standards? What should affect our standards? Should we have standards? Every precept, a precept is a specific command of God, is a revelation of his nature. I heard this yesterday, actually, um, Dr. Bob Gray Jr., and I thought this was fantastic. And he was quoting from somebody else. He said, this book is not everything that God knows. This is everything he wants you to know. He could have given us books and volumes, and it even talks about, it even says in here that if, if all of the, the books could not, the volumes could not contain if they were to write everything down about what he did when he was here during his physical life. But this isn't everything that God knows. This is just everything he wants you to know. Do we know it? I don't, we don't. We don't know it. I don't. I'll stand right there with you. I don't. I don't read enough, and when I read it for the 10th time, I still don't understand it. Sometimes it's the 11th time. Sometimes it's when I'm really going through something that suddenly I see it differently. So I hope that is the case this morning as we look, as we look at a couple things that maybe it's not something you haven't heard before. Maybe you'll look at it differently. If the only thing that happens this morning is that you go home and you open this book and you try to prove me wrong, my work here is done. So, I hope that all of this merely points you back to the book. He commands us. So, the precepts of God are a revelation of his nature. So, God is trying, God is trying to teach us about himself in the book. He commands us to be holy because he is holy. He doesn't command us to do something. These things are supposed to be teaching us about him so that we can be more like him, so that we can handle the stresses and the the storms and the temptations. And, and, and I could go on. God is a God of order and design. And I'm not going to go through too many of these things for the sake of time, but you can't go into the book and learn about God and not believe that he is a God of order. That he is a God of details. I'm a details guy, so this kind of appeals to me. Um, But I don't always follow it. I don't always understand it all. But God is very much a God of order. He very much cares. So are there supposed to be standards for ourselves, for our families? We're only as strong, our church is only as strong as the families within our church. Here's where the rubber starts to meet the road. Wisdom, number one. Number one, we are not ignorant of his distractions. So what are we not ignorant of? That was a nice long introduction. I'll try to be quicker through the, the, the 15 points. Um, no, there's only four. We are not ignorant of, number one, his distractions. The devil often does not, dis- does not derail us, does not try to get us off track, does not try to put things that are evil and try to cram those down your throat. How does he... How does he get an advantage of us? We are not ignorant of his distractions. Distractions are one of the ways that he gets us off track because uh, the devil's only will for you is that you do not do the will of God. So it's the distractions and we think, well, it's not evil, so it can't be bad. The devil's evil. Well, he is a little bit smarter. I'm going to tell you, he's a little bit smarter than we are. And the sooner you come to to grips with that, uh, the better off we're going to be. Another thing I want to tell you, and this is not very popular, and you're not going to like this. You say, well, I've done my best. Your best isn't good enough. My best is not good enough. I'll say that again. Our best is not good enough. In business, we have, at, at my job, 
work, we talk quite often about the challenges that face us. And I will hear often, well, I did my best. That's the best we can do. Hear that? That's the way we've always done it. That's the best we can do. If we did the best that we could do, or if Lewis family did the best that they could do over the years, we would have been out of business years ago. I'll tell you that right now. The best that we can do is not good enough. We've got to constantly be searching. We've got to constantly be studying, constantly looking for new ways. I mean, the deeper that you dig, the deeper that hole goes. The more, the more limitless you find that the Bible is, the more you get in it. But if you're just scratching the surface, uh, you'll, you'll believe, and the devil will tell you that's all there is. Distractions. Distractions. The devil puts things in our path that are not bad. I'll tell you something else I've said before. You've probably heard this. Bad is not the enemy of great. Good is the enemy of great. If you're okay with good enough, you will never be great. Your family will never be great. Our church will never be great. And I don't want a church to be great for the sake of having a great church. Your pastor's heart, my pastor's heart, I'm so grateful that he's not trying to have a name for himself. He's not trying to build a great church. But you will never be great and successful if you're okay with good enough. The good enough. You read through Proverbs, Solomon was not advising his son to be good enough. You can have all the drive and passion. We were talking about working out. And if you're just okay with good enough, don't be, don't, don't be upset with what you got. Don't be upset that you can't run a six-minute mile. Don't be, don't be upset that you, you haven't met your goals if you haven't actually set any goals and then taken the necessary steps. As Brother Franklin said this morning, that's the difference, and I'm getting ahead of myself, that's the difference between knowing and doing. Knowing and doing. So if God cares, He cares what we do, He cares how He does it. If we truly have an adversary that wants to devour us, to sift us like wheat. He wants to separate us. He wants to tear us apart into little pieces that can no longer be used by God. What are we going to do about it? James 1.22 through 25 talks about being a doer of the word and not hearers only. Again, something else we talk about. We have meetings and everybody high fives each other on the way out of the meeting. We do this at church. We high five each other. Oh, that was so good. And I, and I hope it is. I hope something from the book stirred you a little bit this morning. I hope you can say, boy, I got something from that. But if all we do is high five ourselves on the way out to the door and nothing changes, then I have failed. You have failed. We have failed as a church family if we're not any different than when we left. That's why at work, we call them action items. We have to leave a meeting with action items. And so every time we have a meeting, we talk about, okay, what are you going to do this week? What am I going to do this week? How are we going to accomplish our goal? And I'm not worried about what the goal is, how huge that goal is, or how small that goal is. I'm only worried about that we actually accomplished something. Because what will happen when we gather here next week as a, as a business, as a family, as a church? What will be different? Nothing unless we have purpose to do something different. If you do what you've always done, you will get what you've always gotten. We look at the precepts of God. If we want to be more like God, there is hearing and there is doing. Under the hearing category, we've got attention, choosing to listen to God. Then there's meditation, thinking like God. That's the hearing portion. We need that. Then we've got the doing category. This is the important one. Obedience, choosing to obey God and endurance, 
choosing to persevere for God, continue obeying, being steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. I love in the scriptures when the Bible gives us illustrations that we can understand. Because again, I'm really trying to zoom out for myself, for my family, and try to understand, does God care? We think about successes. Our culture is telling us that success is about being rich. It is about having a huge building. It is about drawing people. It is about people being happy. Our culture gives us all of these lies. And, it, and the devil is behind this. The devil is the one pushing this. We are not ignorant. You are not ignorant of who is really behind this. But if that's true, man, there is a gorgeous building over, building over here off Butte House. Is it the Mormon Tabernacle? Gorgeous building. I wouldn't want to live there, and I wouldn't want to have church there, but as an edifice, it is quite impressive. Millions of dollars, I have no doubt. What is a standard for success? What, and, and, and as I think about this, I've been to churches, thousands and thousands, and I don't know what your experience is with church, but I've been in what I would consider great churches, thousands and thousands and thousands of times, and I've heard messages preached thousands and thousands of times. And I think to myself, does it make a difference? Am I different? I've been in revival meetings where people are crawling all over each other to get to the altar, tears streaming down their face. And the same message is preached a different week and everybody just sits there and just stares at each other. It's the same message. It's the same book. It's the same truth. It's the same God. It's the same Holy Spirit. What's different? I'm not, I, I'm not here to answer all of those questions this morning. I will give you a hint. It's us. It's the heart. It's whether or not our priorities are in line. So, uh, four kinds of soil. Uh, we talk about the parable of the sower. How many of you know the parable of the sower? Go ahead, raise your hand. I know. It's, uh, stretch a little bit. Really? Not everybody knows the parable of the sower? Seriously, how many of you have never heard the parable of the sower in the New Testament? Raise your hand. Okay, good, good. So half of you knew what it was, but only two of you don't. I've, I'm sorry, I must have asked the question wrong. Hopefully I'll, hopefully I'll get your attention back towards the end. It's okay if you don't know it. Um, typically it's one that's taught a lot. We hear it in Sunday school, the parable of the sower are the four kinds of of soils are the four kinds of hearts, the four kinds of people that receive the gospel. The sower sowed the seed. Some went on good ground. Some went on hard ground. Some went on stony ground. And so our ability to, uh, the gospel's ability, um, our willingness to let it grow, to let it sprout, to let it make a difference, is dependent on us being the right kind of soil. Um, Dr. Hiles put it this way, you should always have troops on the battlefield of your mind. When the devil, we're still under being, not being ignorant of Satan's, uh, Satan's distractions. So we're still, we're still talking about distractions. How does the devil distract us? Right here. We, have, we are not physically distracted. Our steps are not physically moved until our mind is moved and distracted. Here's the problem. Our adversary would let you believe that what you think about doesn't really matter. Or that there are times and places to do the thinking. Like church. That's where we do the thinking, the, the study and the praying. Other times don't really matter as much. There is a battle raging in your mind every single second of every day. And I would, I would tell you that when you're sleeping, there's a battle. I mean, if you had a bad dream, 
What you think about, what you pray about, what you meditate about, oftentimes will lead to what you dream, what you dream about. And I've had some pretty rotten dreams. Um, troops on the battlefield. He said, when you don't have troops on the battlefield actively engaging the enemy, the enemy is going to overtake your thoughts. And you say, I'm a Christian. The devil can't get me. I'm safe. I'm safe. I'm in church. He can't get me in church. The devil probably will be working harder right now to distract your thoughts than at any other time during the week or the month or the year. And if he's not, I can only speak for myself. It is the hardest. I mean, when's the best time to take a nap? Right now. Tonight. Take a nap when Brother Warner's preaching, because uh, save your nap up for tonight. Why does the devil fight us so hard? Why is it so difficult to find time to pray? Is it coincidence? And that's what I'm, I want, I'm hoping and praying that you'll think about this. Is it really a coincidence that it is so hard to pray? Is it a coincidence that it is so hard to read your Bible every day? Is it just me? I, I would venture a guess that we all struggle with it, whether or not we are aware or not. The devil is only concerned about you not doing the will of God. So we can't learn wisdom if we don't remember. We have to meditate to remember. And I'm really jumping over some points here. We all meditate. We think, well, meditating is difficult, right? I don't have time to meditate on the Word of God. And if this message doesn't make sense to you, it's not because I didn't have time to prepare and to meditate. Um, It's just because, for other reasons. We all meditate. Meditating is hard work. We don't want to meditate on Scripture, chew on it. And that's what I've done with a lot of these verses. I've chewed on them. I really thought about them. What is God trying to say here? God illustrates Scripture with Scripture. A tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit and his season. I've got a couple Japanese maples. And um, they don't like 115 degree summers. Anybody else like plants, trees, bushes? Am I the only? Okay, a couple of you. Good. You know what a Japanese maple is? It's a really finicky tree that just hates me. Um, it, if I look at it cross-eyed, the leaves fall off. Too much water dies. Not enough water dies. Uh, the sun peeks through at just the wrong angle. It dies. Um, I'm trying to get better about that. But the Bible takes illustrations about things that we should know something about and says, hey, there's this truth that, that, that looks like this, uh, that works like this. You know, the church is supposed to be like a bride and adorned for her husband. It's supposed to be a relationship between a man and a woman. Uh, the family, God, you likens himself to a heavenly father. Because everybody's, anybody here not have a father? I mean, at some point in your life. We all understand the concept of family. We all had a mother or have a mother. Um, all of us should understand these basic principles. So that's a wonderful thing is you don't need me to teach you the Bible. Um, it's all here for you. But we come to church to be taught the Bible because we haven't been studying it on our own. We hear people talk about how worship should be done differently in the church. And yes, there are preferences. Yes, the stage could be higher. It could be shorter. I could be taller. I could be shorter. I could be better looking. I could sing better. Brother Franklin, we don't want to change anything about him. Everybody has preferences. The music could be faster, it could be slower, it could be happier, it could be sadder. It could have more theology or less. But we're so, we have such a strong opinion because we're not worshiping at home. We come to church 
and all of our, your worship is not to be all be done at church. Yeah. Devil's getting our priorities out of, out of order. Going to flight school, they make you practice, and they train, you study, they throw a lot at you. Now, I love to fly, and that's one of the jokes, is how do you, how do you, know, how do you know who's a pilot in the group? They will always tell you. Brother Warner's a pilot. Anybody else pilot? Or, Amen. Hallelujah. I, the, only, the only similarity between Brother Warner and myself is that we fly something with wings. I, the, 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 this guy flies a, drives a Ferrari, and I'm like Fred Flintstone with, with a cutout in the floor. But flying is flying. Now, he'll have more fun. He will look better doing it. But we have bathrooms in, you know, little Cessna 172. We've got air conditioning. Just open the windows. If the engine blows up, we've got a lot more time to scream and pray on the way to our death. He won't feel a thing. They say, what is the, what is the difference between a pilot and a pepperoni pizza? Have you heard this one? Pepperoni pizza can feed a family of four. <laughs> Here's another couple of good ones for you. Why was the little airplane sent to his hangar? Bad altitude. Who built an airplane that couldn't fly? Anybody know this? The wrong brothers. What happens to a bad airplane joke? It never lands. Kid says to their parent, I want to be a pilot when I grow up. And the parent says, you can't do both. Airline pilot says to the passengers, ladies and gentlemen, I have good news and bad news. The bad news is that we're lost. The good news is we're making great time. <laughs> and last one, grandchild says to their grandparent, I want to die in my sleep peacefully like my grandfather, not screaming in terror like his passengers. <laughs> What's another thing we're not ignorant of? We're not ignorant of the devil's detours. We're not ignorant of his distractions. I hope you're not. We're not ignorant of his detours. A Christian that has been brainwashed doesn't know it. Adam, uh, Eve was deceived, the Bible says. Adam was not. If you are being deceived, you are being lied to, you have believed a lie, it's all right. You don't know about it. However, at what point are we responsible for what we hear to apply it? I hear so often, well, they gave me a set of rules. I don't like them. I don't understand them. They gave me bad doctrine. Um, at what point... And I'm asking this question legitimately. At what point are we responsible to apply the things that we hear and not apply the things that are not biblical? If you've been given bad teaching from somebody, are you completely off the hook to apply those bad teachings and then come back later and be, be upset with the person that taught them? Now, I'm not justifying somebody preaching bad doctrine. And a lot of times it is not done maliciously. Or perhaps we've misunderstood the context or we've applied it incorrectly. But we've got to take responsibility for what we've heard. We've got to take responsibility to check because so often I have friends, I have family, I have, I have fellow believers that I love dearly that take pieces of the Bible and apply them to their life. Or they've heard something and it didn't work out for them. And they come back around and say, that didn't work. You lied to me. 
the job of the pastor is not to spoon feed you every little principle to, that, uh, for every little thing that you're dealing with in your life. However, I'm so blessed that we have a pastor that does understand the Holy Spirit, does lead him to understand what's going on. Every time I listen to a, a message, it's something that's going on in my heart. Maybe not directly, but indirectly. But it's not his job to fix our every ailment. God already gave that to us right here. And just because we have overlooked or we haven't made time, we haven't invested in that, does not mean that our pastor or our church has failed us. We have to take responsibility. The devil's most powerful device, and this is really what I wanted to get to, the devil's most powerful device to get us off track, to make us unuseful to the Lord, to get us out of his will, is to get our priorities in the wrong order. In other words, you have every tool that you need. You have every precept, every principle you've heard, if not here this Sunday morning, or last Sunday morning, or last year, or I was very blessed to grow up in a house where the Bible, where we memorized scripture. I am more accountable than most of you uh, because I've heard so much and I know so much. The issue is not that we have evil that is pushing us down the wrong track. It's that we have something good in the wrong order. We have something good, something spiritually positive in the wrong amounts or in the wrong place. Spirit's presence versus the Spirit's power are two different things. Going to church and singing the songs of God and being encouraged is different than having the Holy Spirit's power working through us. I love this illustration. I think about these things when I'm flying or just when I'm looking out the window wishing that I were flying, when you get up to a certain altitude and either the engine turns off or you pull the, pull the plug, everything feels fine, everything looks fine. i got plenty of altitude. Look, I'm up here. And you look down there. It's little tiny cars. What do you do? You look down. Peasants. Peasants. I'm way up here. Nobody can get me. I'll tell you, flying first thing in the morning when the sun's just coming up across the horizon, there is nothing like it. Um, I would like to say I'm closer to God, but we're really closer to heaven. Um, because God's supposed to be in our heart. But you feel like you're closer to God. And you see these little cars down there. It looks like the guy that parked in my spot at Walmart. <laughs> not really. That's, that's not the spirit that we want to have. But you do get a little bit of an air uh, being up so high. You pull the power, though. You think all is fine. I'm flying. Everybody down there is so tiny. I got nothing to worry about. I'll deal with this problem later. I can glide anywhere I want. With enough, with enough altitude, I can glide almost anywhere I want to go. Especially you get past enough atmospheres. I can just glide anywhere I want to go, right? I don't need the power of the engine. I don't need any kind of power to get where I'm going. I can just glide wherever I want to go. Problem is, is that our adversary wants us to believe that, yet when you hit some storms, you hit some crosswinds, and again, the little puddle jumpers that I fly are more susceptible to wind shear and storms and icing. You have problems with icing? 60,000 feet, not at 10,000 feet we don't. Um, We don't have problems, I mean, we get blown about quite a bit in the little puddle jumpers. Um, So if you don't have enough altitude, you don't have enough power, you're not going to get through those things, because we didn't plan on having a trial. We never plan on having a trial. You don't have the power to make it through. Here's the one, the one thing that you need to know. Again, something you already know. You can't pull over up there. You can't put it in park and check the manual. 
you can't put it in reverse because you went in the wrong place. It requires constant forward movement. That's why I really love, I really love thinking and studying and flying because there is so much, there's so much parallel in the illustration with flying and the Christian life. You've got to always be moving forward. Always moving forward. You need power. Yes, can you glide for a little bit? Yes. Get your kids up there. Get them, get them up at a decent altitude, but unless they realize, unless they're able to start moving on their own power, they will glide only for so long before they're coming down. They're coming down. It's just a matter of when. They've got to have that power. They've got, you, can only, you can only pull them along for so long. And you need, they need that altitude. They need to be brought along with the things of God. As I heard a pastor say, if when they screw up, I want them stepping over a whole lot of God to do it. And I'm so grateful when I messed up, I stepped over a lot of God to do it. And I would have messed my life up way worse than I did when I was a kid if I hadn't had to step over so many Bible verses. Because I stepped over, there hath no temptation taken you, which is such as is common to man. And all these Bible verses that I had memorized suddenly came to mind. It made it really hard to do wrong. That's what I want. My kids are going to screw up. I'm going to screw up. But you investing those Bible verses in that account, they'll be there when you need to withdraw them. We can glide for a while without the power. We've got to have that power. You're going to have to radio to the tower. And you better trust his directions because he can see Everybody else that's out there flying around. I was out there flying around one day, and all of a sudden I heard, I mean, when you hear the radio, when you hear the tower operator get stressed out, you know that's not a good sign. And all of a sudden, there's, there's somebody, we lost contact with so-and-so, look at your right window, there's, um, and I mean, collision, collision. I've, I finally found the guy, and he was like a speck way out there, but they, they didn't know where he was because he wasn't communicating. You don't want to be running into anybody up there. Now again, we can just kind of hover we get, the guy that was about to run me over was somebody like this and going 400 knots while I'm just trying to, my Hawaiian shirt, air conditioning, um, trying to glide and have a good time. One of my favorites is uh, Far Side cartoons where these two pilots are flying and there's this cloud bank and there's this little clearing in the cloud where they look through the cloud bank and they see this mountain goat. And the one pilot looks at the other and goes, hey, what's that mountain goat doing up here in that, in that cloud bank? I'll give you a second. Another thing that they make us, that they teach us over and over again, is to trust our instruments. I love flying. One thing I do not enjoy is instrument only. They make you, even for private, even for private pilots, even without an instrument rating, they, they put you under the hood and they make you fly instruments only. Hated it. Hated every second of it. It was good though. I needed it. I needed to do it. But I like looking outside. I like pretending I'm dogfighting with the mountain, you know, it's just, it's so much fun. But put it under the hood, you have to trust everything to the instruments. You have no idea where you are, except to look at your instruments. Like, go circle the VOR, the 180 radial on the VOR, blah, blah, blah. So you out, you, you, uh, you got to tune into a radio frequency and you figure out where you are based on this radio antenna. And that's only good enough, you got to have two of them. One's not enough. You've got to have two of them. You've got to triangulate where you're at. I want to be very transparent with you. I feel like I'm under the hood right now. A lot of times, I don't see. I can't see outside. I hate it. <laughs> Is God in control? Absolutely. But there's a difference between saying that, knowing that, and actually practicing it. So I'm being tra- very transparent with you this morning. I'm doing my best to trust the instruments. 
but the instruments have never failed me. And I may not always know where I'm at, but I know how to find out where I'm at. Fixed points. Fixed points. Let your pastor, let your Sunday school teacher, let some of these men be a fixed point for you. You need more than one. You need more than one fixed point to triangulate where you're at. And if you don't know where you're at, you have no hope of getting where you're going. Number three, we're not ignorant of the devil's discord and disunity. God demands and deserves the best, but it is heart, the heart of our, uh, us as a believer offering our best to God that is truly pleasing towards him. And, and get this, obedience is always an act of love towards someone. It is never merely a compliance to a rule. So if your heart is in it, you're not really obey, obeying. Um, it's important that we understand all of these thoughts about getting wisdom, about distractions. If we can't get through these things, we will never have unity. And like I said, you're not going to get through you're not going to get through a message with a music guy without talking about music a little bit. But one of the best, one of the, I guess one of the ways that I appreciate the most about unity in the church is the music of the church. Music is the spiritual thermometer of the church. It's the spiritual thermometer of the church. Singing louder doesn't make you more spiritual. I wish I could say that it does. Please make, sing louder. It changes the spirit of the, of the service when you do. Putting on a suit and tie, it doesn't make you spiritual. Is there anybody here that believes that that's true? Is there anybody here that really believes that if you part your hair on one side or the left, that you're more spiritual? Singing louder doesn't make you more spiritual. Being here for an extra hour after church is over doesn't make you more spiritual. But I want to be more spiritual. The devil, our adversary, would have you believe that there is a shortcut that you can skip over the investment of your time and your heart and just put something on and be okay. And if somebody has told you that you're more spiritual because of the tie that you wear and how sharp you look and this music that you sing, yes, you are being misled. But, again, at what point are we responsible to check it out with the book? What does the book say? The book, sa- the book says, uh, Rachel sang earlier, God sees the heart. I love that song. It comes from the heart. If it doesn't come from the heart, it do- it's meaningless and it's not going to matter. Now, does God care what we wear? Does God care how you sing? Yes, yes, and yes. But if it doesn't come from the heart. Now, if your heart's not in it, come anyway. If, you're, if, if you don't understand it, sing anyway. If you don't want to give it, give it anyway. The Bible it talks about, and pastors preach this, your heart, where your treasure is, there will a heart be also. So you've got to put it out there first and let your heart follow it. But you're not, we're not going to get lasting change. We're not going to be effective um, if we don't do these things. So we're not ignorant of the discord and disunity. When we look at the role of music in worship, and I'm almost done, the role of music in church is absolutely biblical. We, we, but we think of church like a microwave. We think of this, there's this magic component. Does anybody know, I'm asking you to raise your hand again, last time, how many of you know exactly how a microwave works? Anybody? Awesome? No? Okay. I don't either. I was hoping there was somebody here smarter than me. But you trust it every time you put your food in it, you press the button, it comes out hotter, right? You, so you trust it to do a job, but it's magic, 
I mean, you think a thousand years ago, you had this box and you put food in, you press a button and it comes out hot. I didn't have to collect firewood. I didn't have to, you know, I didn't have to uh, figure out how to get two rocks together. So it's, it, but, we, but we think of church that way. We don't understand how church works. We just expect to come in and be magically encouraged and then leave. We expect to come in without any understanding. And I use the term we loosely, uh, granted. We don't understand what's at work in the church, and we want to just be warmed up a little bit. We want to be newt uh, for a few seconds in church and then go, go on our way. But music is one of those things that has to come from the inside out. You, have to, there, you can understand how it works. You can understand the ingredients. Our lives are surrounded with music. When you go to the store, when you get in on, on an elevator, where, no matter where you go, there's music everywhere. So there's no shortage of music, but... The people of God should be singing, and what we sing and how we sing is very important. It is far for participation. Karl Barth says, said at one point that singing is not an option for the people of God. It is one of the most essential ministries of the church. Singing is the highest form of human expression, and what we can say quite confidently is the church which does not sing is not the church. I'm going to say all of this because... Um, I can see all of you from up here when I lead music. I know if you're enjoying the songs. I know if you don't want to be singing the songs. I'm not going to say anything to you about it. I, I hope and pray that you enjoy the songs and that we get to sing together. Uh, but I can see you. I mean, you can see me. I can see you. Um, it's a heart. It's a heart thing. And, and I hope and pray that, that you'll allow myself, Brother Christie, Brother Nathan, Brother Moberly, a little bit of an opportunity to, to partner along with you to uni- unify just for a few seconds under the banner of the message of the song. And where the church does not really sing, but sighs and, and stumbles and mumbles spasmodically, shamefacedly and with ill grace, it can be at best only a troubled community which is not sure of its cause and whose ministry and witness there can be no great expectation. The praise of God, which finds its concrete culmination in the singing of the community, is one of the indispensable forms of the ministry of the church. It is absolutely indispensable that we sing. It's not, nothing that we do on, in a church service is by accident. Okay, actually, there were, there were a few accidents. Every once in a while, there will be a slide in the wrong place. But the songs that we sing, the messages, the offertories, the things that we do, uh, they're, they're, they have a purpose, and, and, and so congregation is always the primary choir. Often we see a group of people sing, and we think, well, that's, that's great. Let's, let's see what the choir has for us this morning. Oh, that was, that was pretty good. Or, oh, that wasn't very good. We, the, we miss the purp- whole purpose of them being up there. The purpose of them being up there is for us to get on board. Oh, a new song. I'm going to sing along. Start singing along. We, we are so... Oh, man, we, we are so reserved. We are so cautious. Oh, I don't want to say anything. Somebody will hear me. I want to hear you. When the choir is singing, when we're singing special music, sing. If you were to sing along when we sing um, This Blood, nothing would thrill my heart more. Because I will be here singing a special, when my, if my health allows it, I will be here singing whether you're here or not. Um, during COVID, y'all didn't get to be here. We were here, and it was a blessing. But if I was here just for you, I wouldn't have come. Uh, Pastor was here just to see your smiling faces, um, which is a blessing. He wouldn't have come either. But I wasn't here for him, and I'm not here for you. 
And if you're not here next week, I, Lord willing, I'm going to be here. So I hope you're not here for me. I hope you're not here for your pastor. I hope you're here to sing. I hope you're here because you want to support the work of God. And unity, the unity that only God can bring, has to start from inside. So the wrong priorities. One more thing. John Calvin recognized the power of congregational singing. He said, The chief use of the tongue is in public prayers which are offered in the assembly of of believers and singing with one common voice. As it were, the same mouth, we all glorify God together, worshiping Him with one spirit, with one faith. God gets glory with our unity. If you want to sock one to the devil, to to the deceiver, to our, our enemy, the biggest blow that you could drive to him is that of being unified together. You don't have to like one another. You have to love one another. You don't have to look the same. You don't have to sound the same. Another reason I love music is we've got alto, we've got soprano, we've got tenor, we've got bass, we've got the four parts of music. I wanted to, um, I wanted to um, demonstrate that a little bit this morning, but uh, for the sake of time, I can't. But when you hear the individual parts of music... Um, even when they're sung well, they sound really odd. You heard alto? Anybody sing alto? Come on now. Good. Come on. You're so cautious because you know I'm going to find you later. (laughs) Has anybody heard an alto part all by itself? It sounds really odd, doesn't it? How about bass? It can be really, really blah. But boy, you put those four parts together and they blend, they mesh to form something that is greater than the sum of its parts. Music is one of those things that's greater than the sum of its parts. You, as our church family, the church is greater than the sum of its parts. God could have come down here and dumped Bibles out of an airplane so that everybody could read and understand and get saved. But for some reason, he put together the institution of the church where you and I could have a, be together. We could be co-laborers with Christ. So we have, and I I won't, uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to have to skip um, the last three hours of my notes here, but we are all deficient as a Christian in some way. We long to have attention and confirmation and, and love and camaraderie. You see people being led astray that, that have a leader and they follow that leader all the way down. People that are misled, that are lied to, um, other religions, other cultures. People want a leader. People want to believe in something. We all have that built into us. You, you're here because there's something inside of you that you long and desire to be a part of something bigger than yourself. I know that I do. There's a little piece of me that uh, a God-sized hole that only God can fill. There's also a church-sized hole that God put there. Don't fill it with anything else. Don't fill it with anything else. You won't be happy. There's a spouse-sized hole. There's a God-sized hole. There's a church-sized hole that is in your heart and in your life that only God can fill the right way. You will only be happy if you fill it the right way. But our adversary is going to tell you, yes, you want to be here, you want to serve, you want to get on board with your pastor, but Mrs. Brown glared at me. I'm kidding, she didn't. My wife, she was... Brother Christy, there's something wrong with everybody. Somebody snubbed me. Somebody didn't shake my hand. Some of the worst trouble I've ever been in, personally, as a son, as a husband, as a worker, an employee, 
things that I either didn't know I was supposed to do or that I thought I was doing right and did wrong. Give each other the benefit of the doubt. Please, give each other the benefit of the doubt. Your adversary wants to sift you like wheat. And what he is going to do is get your priorities out of order and he's going to stick somebody's face in your way. I can't come to church because of them. I'm going to say this as nicely as I can, but y'all ain't getting in the way of... of, I'm not going to let the devil use you to get me out of whack with him. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. There's more, but it's all in the book. So I'm going to let you go and and do the rest for yourself. We are not ignorant of his distractions. We are not ignorant of his discord and disunity. We are not ignorant of his deceit, his lies. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much for the privilege that we have to have your word, that we can all have it in our hands, that you provided us not only a country where we have the freedom to pray, the freedom to, to gather and worship, Lord, but you've given us the, uh, the opportunity to gather together as a family. And Lord, I'm so grateful for my family. And I pray that the things that I've said this morning um, would be received in, in the spirit that, Lord, I intended them, even though I wasn't able to say everything exactly as I, I believe you wanted me to say it. Lord, I do pray that you would take these truths and that you would move our hearts, that you wouldn't just move our hearts, yet you would help us to move these things to action, that we'd be a little bit different. Lord, I always pray this, but I pray that we would be a little bit different because of our time in your house this morning. Lord, I pray that we would do something different this morning uh, to, to honor you, to worship you, to please you, uh, this morning, something a little bit different that would cause us to come back tonight hungrier, uh, to gather around your word, that it would cause us to be um, more surrendered, that we'd be willing to give more of ourselves to you. Lord, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful for salvation. And Lord, I do pray that as we leave this place and as we pray, Lord, that uh, if anybody has not, anyone has not had that time where they have surrendered their life and their heart and accepted you as their Savior, that today would be the day. Lord, we love you so much and pray that you would bless this time of invitation for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray it. Go and stand to your feet, please, as the instruments play. Pray as they play and we pray. If you'd like to come to the altar, please do so. There hasn't been a time in your life where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've accepted that free gift of eternal life. Please, I beg you, don't leave this place. The most important thing that you could leave here with this morning is an assurance that heaven is your home.